I'm the boss. I'm the gaffer. Welcome back to the Irish Football Fans Podcast. Tonight, I'm joined by Mark Kennedy from Hawkeye Psychic and Philip Flanagan from the Bottomless Pit of Football. And we're going to discuss uh, Steve Staunton's reign uh, in charge of the Ireland national team. Welcome, lads. All right, lads. Not too bad now. Okay, so, uh, look, I feel that we should get this out of the way right from the beginning. This was a, a mistake. Uh, on pretty much every level, uh, look, we we've all we're all football fans. We're all aware of the the history of the Irish team, and we know that this was a, a low point in recent history. But you know, following the failure to qualify for the 2006 World Cup, the FAI announced that Brian Kerr's contract would not be renewed, and they would look for a new senior international manager. Now, at the time, uh, a three-man panel was led by John Delaney. Um, and they had approached a number of figures within the game to succeed Kerr. Uh, you know, uh, bizarrely, Alex Ferguson was linked with the job, although I don't think that was ever going to happen. Terry Venables was linked. Uh, the Brian Robson, who had been linked uh, when Brian Kerr was appointed, was also one of the named. And Delaney did promise us a world-class management team. And it came to pass that almost three years after Brian Kerr was appointed as Ireland manager, on of all dates, Friday the 13th of January 2006, Steve Staunton was announced as new manager of the national side, and Bobby Robson was his international consultant and former teammate from Aston Villa, Kevin McDonald, as his assistant. Just so we can all remember where he was earlier that week, he was a player coach at Walsall. So, Mark, if we can start with you, what did you think at the time? I mean, between Brian Kerr, uh, Brian Kerr's last game against Switzerland had been the previous October, and you know, in, in two months, two months later, we were looking at Steve Staunton as our new manager i mean it obviously it could have gone better but what were your thoughts at the time yeah it took me a bit by surprise uh, that was for sure um given the guys you had mentioned like bobby robson terry venables as well was strongly linked with the job as well i just felt it was just a massive long shot it was a massive punt off delaney i suppose trying to make the the, the immediate impact to say one of our legendary homegrown players will take us from the footballing oblivion that was the end of Brian Kerr's era. So it was a massive punt. I suppose you could look at it in one or two ways. A first-time football manager, granted internationally, there have been some success stories, particularly likes of Jürgen Klinsmann, who had precious little managerial experience, and then he was thrust into the German nationals team and had produced pretty much great performances with them. You can think of Pep or Guardiola, maybe the other exception, but again, it was a massive punt, really, given the squad, given the turnover of players, so a bit of a risk from from my perspective. Yeah, I think the, the feeling was that it was high risk, but it might be high regard, high reward, rather. You know, you mentioned uh, that Germany had appointed Jürgen Klinsmann, and the Netherlands had appointed Marco van Basten with similar, with very, very little uh, top-level coaching experience, and I kind of thought at the time that maybe there was we were seeing a change in uh, the perception of the international management job. You know, up until up until then, a manager would cut his teeth at club level and work his way up to uh, international. But you know, it was we were starting to see that, that that the very top jobs in the Premier League and Premier League and in the Bundesliga were going to to these managers. You know, the experienced managers. You know, trophy winning managers. That's you know, you you kind of would in in previous maybe eras in football, you know, at their stage of their career, they'd be moving into international management, but they weren't. They were, you know, they were staying with the top club, the top clubs around Europe. So, Phil, um, 
did you think that you know Steve Staunton, you know the the first man to reach a hundred caps for his country, you know a league winner with Liverpool, he was the man that was going to bring the team back from the the doldrums that we had seen under Brian Kerr and you know lead us to the to uh, Euro two thousand and eight. Yeah, at the time, if I don't think I I don't think it was the worst appointment at the time. I didn't feel that way. Um, it's so hard to kind of think about what I thought of Steve Sondon before he took over as Ireland manager because, like, my whole impression of him now, like, it's probably everyone, you kind of forget, like, about what a great player he was now. When anyone says Steve Sondon, you just think, oh, God, I remember when he was Ireland manager. But at the time, I, I, don't, I, I think I was kind of excited by it. Like, as he said, Jorgen Klinsmann and that, uh, Van Basten, uh, Yogi Lowe took over as well and his first game was actually against us the 1-0 against Sondon so I think it was actually kind of like oh look it didn't turn out that way but Ireland were trying to do something new or kind of go with the, the current trend whereas really it was kind of like they were just trying to probably save a bit of money but at the time I I, I don't think I think I was kind of excited by it I know he had, there was questions obviously about like Basically, he'd little or no experience. But then Robson was coming in alongside him. And at the time, I suppose, before even the first press conference, I kind of presume Robson would be with him on the sideline as like his number two or a coach, which it didn't really turn out to be. But at the time, that's I kind of think a lot of people thought that as well. And even up until the first press conference, there was a bit of confusion as to what actually his role, how, how big his role as a consultant would be, because it was such a strange kind of... Uh, uh, banner to give him. Yeah, Robson's role, you know, did lend an air of um, uh, I don't know respect maybe to the to the appointment. It was okay. You know, we they, they were admitting straight off that you know Staunton was an inexperienced manager that he was you know it's his first first real job as a, a in the in the hot seat. Um, but he would have this 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 massive figure from the game beside him to lean on for advice for for guidance. Um, and look, unfortunately, it didn't really work out that way. You know, Bobby Robson's health was was deteriorating at the time, and yeah, you know, he wasn't um, he wasn't as available to Staunton as you know as possibly they would have planned at the beginning. But you know, two months after the announcement, uh, Staunton had his his first game. It was a home friendly uh, against the Sweden side that were playing for the World Cup that summer in Germany. Now, Sweden had qualified as the best second-place team in the UEFA qualifiers after finishing behind Croatia on goal difference in their group. Now, they had 24 points from their games, and that would have been enough to top three other qualifying groups, including Ireland's. And most people, I think, were prepared to give the new manager the benefit of the doubt. Like I said, Kerr's reign had ended on a pretty dour feeling. And I think people just wanted to see an improvement in the side, something to cheer. And it's fair to say the team delivered. You know, there was uh, it was a three 0 win. It was uh, three goals in the same game for the first time since September two thousand and four. Liam Miller um, scored his first uh, his first goal for Ireland. There was debuts for Kevin Doyle, Joey O'Brien, Wayne Henderson, and who can forget Stephen Ireland's first appearance. Now, remember, Ireland had also stated he would never play for Brian Kerr after they fell out at, at under seventeen level and had never played at under twenty one or or under nineteen level for Ireland. And this wasn't an, an inexperienced or a, 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 an experimental uh, Swedish side. You know, they had Henrik Larsson was in the team. That had started that uh, that game as well. He went off before half time. You know, they had all, you know the Premier League uh, stalwart Olaf Mölberg, you know, uh, Shellstrom. They all lined up for that for that away side. And you know, a three 0 win 
okay. And I think that that you know that bought the the rookie manager some time. You know, again, it was a it was the style of play, and there were and there were goals that I don't think we would have scored. You know, under Kerr, we we only scored three goals in the same game twice uh, under the under the former underage manager. So, you know, Phil, after that first game, I think it was fair to say we you know we were we were feeling a lot better about the appointment. Yeah, well, as I said, I was kind of half excited about it as well, and to uh, to beat a Sweden team that convincingly that we're going to a tournament, and people did think we had underachieved under Kerr as well. So. It, it wasn't like, let's say, when McCarthy took over his second uh, stint or when he took over his first stint. Like, we weren't actually terrible when Staunton took over. We were poor, but we had a lot of talent. Like, we still had a lot of good players. So there was a good bit of optimism. I think it was um, Lee Miller's only goal as well. But he gave a lot of players debuts as well. Like, that was a young enough team, I think, that played against Sweden. Um Duff scored. That was his first goal in two years. So uh, I was fairly, yeah, I was excited. Yeah. So you know, Mark, you know, what did you think after the game? It was, you know, like I said, if uh, you know, three nil win, um, debuts. You know, Stephen Early was one of the most exciting players in the Premier League or young players in the Premier League at the time. You know, we, you know, we might be looking at a, a very different side uh, to what we'd seen under Brian Kerr, and you know. Was it time to start thinking about qualifying for the the World Cup, or sorry, for the European Championships in uh, in Switzerland and Austria? Yeah, it was it was a nice change, though, guys. You know, even during that game, the atmosphere in the ground was so more, so positive because you could see from let's say Steve Staunton's kind of initial tactics looked to be going more attacking minded. You know, two up top with these two wingers, and you know, having a supporting anchor kind of midfielder there as well so you could see from his perspective Stephen Ireland was going to play a key role in terms of the midfield creativity and decide I mean for Damien Duff to score the goal was huge wasn't it given his comments about the Brian Kerr era right at the end to kind of invigorate him same with Robbie Keane captain in the side it all boded very well didn't it I mean the optimism like I was in Boston I rang my father straight after the game and geez he was jumping up and down I mean he couldn't get over the performance and was really looking forward to what the side had to offer going forward. So, again, it was just general positivity, really, wasn't it? Yeah, like it's, it's, and I think you know that's that's how I felt after the game as well. I mean, I actually missed it, and it was my first home game that I had missed since I'd started going to to, to games since Brian Kerr's uh, first home game against Norway. Um, I was a, had a I was in a car accident that day, and fortunately walked away without a scratch. Um, rode off the car, but I was. Uh, uh, I was wasn't able wasn't able to get into the mindset of of, of wasn't of going to a game, um, so I, I watched this uh, at home and you know was kind of was obviously disappointed um, with that I wasn't able to go but delighted with the result. But you know the the honeymoon didn't didn't really last too long after that. It was then the season friendly against Chile ended in a one nil defeat for Ireland and. You know, on the face of it, it, maybe it wasn't a terrible result. You know, it's uh, an end of season friendly. It's May. The players are kind of tired after a long season. They're, you know, they don't have a a, a tournament to look forward to. So maybe a one nil win or a one nil loss rather isn't the worst result. But this was followed up by a four nil thrashing by a Netherlands side who, had, I think, had underachieved at the World Cup. You know, they only had two 
two wins in their group against Serbia Montenegro and the Ivory Coast and finishing with a draw against Argentina before being knocked out by Portugal but they destroyed Ireland that day it, it was four goals and it could easily have been more it was actually the, the worst home defeat since May 1966 when a, a West Germany side that we playing the World Cup final only a month later I had also put four past the boys in green you know the the goals are available on YouTube with, with Dutch commentary and to look at them the, the side is completely disorganized there's no shape there's no no one seems to be know who they're marking there's there's not even attempt at an offside trap and you know the I think that really was the end of the honeymoon and, and it came to a sharp sharp end and and Mark you know we were looking into the the, the qualifiers in a tough group you know we had Czech Republic Germany Slovakia Wales and then the the minnows of, of Cyprus and San Marino so you know we were suddenly, you know, after the optimism of the first, uh, the first game, the first win, we had two, one bad defeat and one, I don't want to say acceptable defeat, but it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, you know. Yeah, yeah, I mean, qualifying going to go. Yeah, I mean, you can talk about friendlies. The Chilean performance was not too bad, but Chile were so dogged, defensively well structured. I think they got us on the counter attack. Memory serves me right, but the the Dutch r- result it really did kind of shed a bit of light of what was to come, particularly from a defensive organisational perspective. Didn't as you said yourself, Joel, tactically we weren't at it. Um, the the group itself was vicious at the best of times. We had Germany, uh, Slovakia, who a bit of a dangerous team, Czech Republic, Wales, who'd be kind of on the same level as ourselves, and then you had Cyprus and. San Marino that we thought maybe were the cannon fodder of the group but again you had four teams there and particularly Germany away opening game god it was a daunting daunting fixture list yeah but you know and that you know Phil, if we can talk about that that opening game then you know away to Germany you know coming off the back of a, of a, of a thrashing really by a, a team that we would consider on the same the same level as Germany and uh, but you know it, the team actually performed pretty well. I mean, we, we did lose that game. You know, we lost 1-0. Um, but I think maybe, you know, there was a sense that pride had been restored a little bit. Um, and that, you know, on another day, we possibly could have, you know, I, I don't think we ever looked like winning the game, but, you know, we you know we could have come away with a draw. Um, but look, look, it, it's Germany. You know, there's three things are three things are guaranteed in life. There's death taxes and Germany qualifying for international tournaments. So, you know, a loss in uh, in Stuttgart, not the worst results. No, not too bad. I think the 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 thing about the just going back to the Dutch friendly was, I think, as you said, we all knew how inexperienced Staunton was, and that Robinson was coming in to kind of hold his hand in that. I think the Dutch game was kind of like, oh God, I don't know, does he really know what he's doing? Kind of tactically, like they look so as disorganized they were so all over the place so i think the fact that they went away to germany in the first game and came away with a respectable one nil defeat was kind of like oh a bit of a bit of redemption but like the the dutch game was a bit uh oh maybe this is this was the wrong decision i think nearly like straight away that kind of crept into people's minds who were kind of on the fence about it yeah and well look you know, after the the Germany win, when as I say, pride had been restored somewhat. You know, pride was completely lost. 
only a few uh, a month later in uh, in in Nicosia, possibly the worst result in Irish international footballing history uh, when we were beaten by two by Cyprus uh, away from home. Now I remember watching that game and you know we scored early. Stephen Ireland scored open to to open the score in the game and I was thinking, all right, we're one 0 up. You know this is going to go the same way games against Cyprus have always gone. And then Cyprus equalised only two minutes later. You know, Michael Constantino, who'd been uh, who'd been noted as one of their their, their danger men. You know, this was a uh, you know he was playing in I think in Greece at the time, but he had you know scored in the Champions League. You know, he was a, a you know I think the 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 stereotype in your head was that the Cyprus players were willing, but you know, and skilled. But suddenly, this is a you know, like I said, this is a Champions League level uh, uh, international player. And we didn't really have anyone like that. And then, just to make things worse, uh, only six minutes later, Cyprus went 2-1 up. And suddenly, we're behind against one of the minnows. And in in your head, you're going, this actually can't be happening. I can't believe what I'm seeing here. You know, this is... You know, we, we said this, you know, the 3-0 win was uh, a result that wouldn't have happened under Brian Kerr. But, you know, going 2-1 down away to Cyprus definitely wouldn't have happened under Brian Kerr. Um, you know, Richard Dunn equalised uh, right before half time. Um, he actually had a pretty eventful game. He was booked in, in the opening half hour. Then he equalised right before half time, and then he was sent off in the second half. Um, when you know Cyprus rattled in three more goals to inflict, like I said, possibly the worst result in in Irish football history. Um, so Mark, after that. You know, qualification was already gone two games into the, the qualifying uh, series. Yeah, it looked a very tall order. That Cyprus game sticks with me for a number of reasons. Uh, where I was in Boston, I know where I was. Um, PJ Ryan Somerville uh, watching that game. Uh, like, it was no excuse. The The performance was shocking. I mean, you could say Shea Given, Stephen Reed, Stephen Carr, Kevin Doyle. I mean, you could throw in Graham Cavanagh there as well. Who wasn't available for selection due to kind of injury or suspension? But poor old Paddy Kenny had a nightmare. Andy O'Brien had a nightmare. I mean, when you, you defensively, particularly away from home, you know you should be keeping it some way tight or compact. We certainly did not do that. Like you know, some of the goals we gave away were just absolute holders. At least three of them. I think two were dreadful back passes. One was poor old Paddy Kenny was so in a wall at that stage. He went out for a ball and completely missed it. I mean, it, it was just. Anything that could possibly have gone wrong for Ireland that day did go wrong. Um, yeah, one point out of two games, I mean, yeah, it kind of looked pretty remote, didn't it? I mean, getting bit, so well beat by Cyprus. And I think the pressure was being cranked on now, poor old Steve Staunton, because Bobby Robson not being around for advice, solace, you know, a bit of support. Uh, it was really kind of exposing the appointment there at that stage. Yeah, I mean, Phil, after that game, I remember I watched it with my brother and we, we walked back to to collect the car and, and head home and I'd gone to heater but spoke for 20 minutes uh, just unable to process what we'd just seen um, I mean do you remember what you, you thought after after that I remember I was in the West Bar in Westport Mayo and I don't think I was ever as drunk after an Ireland game even after we won a game I remember there was three or four of us in the bar I think a lot of people left after about a half an hour and I just um, it was kind of like what just happened it was it was a bit like 
did you know it was I know the midfield on the day was was weak enough but it was just it was such a shock because we just didn't get turned over by teams like that and I think just going back to like the last couple of, of podcasts we've done or you've done I think really it's like from from about the end of Kerr's reign till about this game was kind of the, the death of Ireland being able to play football at a high level I think this was the game that kind of cemented it like it was only four years five years earlier that we were playing Holland off the pitch and now at this stage was the t- it, w- it was basically what was happening was we were getting played off the pitch technically by lesser teams I think that was the start of it the Cyprus game it was just yeah it was one of the worst probably the worst as you said yeah and um, I think that time uh, like the 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 first home game of the qualifiers that was coming up later that week against the Czech Republic and I think that the coverage in the build up to the game was possibly the nastiest that I had seen definitely up to that point in in um, in Irish journalism you know remember that you know they, they sent photographers to training with 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 uh, toys of Muppets to try and get photos of the players with Miss Piggy or, or Camp the Frog and they were having none of it and they're, they're you know, I'd never seen that before, certainly not from, from Irish newspapers and like English uh, tabloid journalism has always had you know, uh, Bobby Robson's head on, a, on superimposed onto a, a turnip as they were beaten by Sweden um, and, and there's, there's always been that, that nasty streak running through uh, coverage of the English team and, and English players, but I'd never seen it for, for our uh, Ireland player and our Irish team before. And there was a backlash of sorts from the fans um, bef- before that, that they were kind of saying, okay, this, this was a horrific result and we're accepting that and nobody is disputing that. But by the same token, the players and the management do not deserve this kind of treatment. Um, and the the atmosphere in the in Lansdowne Road before the kickoff against the Czech Republic was was very different. It was something that I, I don't think I'd experienced up to that point. There was there was an anger and a resentment in the air, and I'm not really sure where it was it was being directed. But you know, it's it's fair to say that you know, things turned around on the pitch. Um, Paul McShane. Uh, turned in an absolute virtuoso performance on his international debut, and we were thinking, "Well, oh, finally, hey, this is a, a, a you know, a, a, an inspiring young, you know, footballing centre half. He's come through the, the, the academy setup at Manchester United. This is a, a, a player who who looks ready for international football. You know, I'd seen him play for the under 21s in defence when he was the best player on the pitch, and he was the best player on the pitch." Uh, against the Czech Republic, on as I say, on his, on his debut, he looked like he'd been, you know, playing there all his life. And when Kevin Caban scored the opener um, in the second half, when we had had a, a you know a period of dominance over the Czechs, um, we thought, actually, hey, you know, maybe maybe the other two results were I don't want to say flukes, but they were maybe misleading. Um, now, unfortunately, you know, the Czechs kind of went straight down the other end and scored an equaliser, but. You know, if the game ended 1-1 against, you know, what we thought were going to be one of the two top teams in the group in, in the Czech Republic. So it didn't wash away the, the, the memory of the, the 5-2. And 
like I don't think that team will ever be forgiven for it. But after the game, after the Czech Republic, after the draw, I think the the fan reaction was a bit calmer, and we were perhaps thinking, all right, we've run at home games now, we can put our, we can put some results together and we can get ourselves back into contention. So like, Mark, I mean, do you remember what it was like to watch that from the other side of the Atlantic? Yeah, I was very interested to see what the reaction would have been, particularly on the players' front. I mean, Steve Staunton was getting it pretty much in all angles. <laughs> so I was very interested to see how the senior players within that squad were going to react, how the team were going to regroup. And in fairness to him, it was a professional performance. Now, I mean, Czech Republic was very talented coming over. I mean, like Svorsky, Nedved, Kohler, absolute giant. Uh, like, they were very technically gifted footballers and very physical but in fairness to Ireland, they definitely competed pretty well. Um, uh, it was a spirited display, um, to be honest. Um, we didn't give an inch. And I, I felt the crowd were warm into the, the efforts of the team as the game wore on, particularly when Kilban yeah. scored that lovely left-footed finish. Um, it did kind of look as if we may could have um, ha- had three points there. But one all draw, considering what happened in Nicosia a few days prior, I think. Um, uh, my kind of pride was restored in the side, let's say. Yeah, and you know, the same night that we conceded five against Cyprus, the Czechs had scored seven against San Marino. So, you know, it wasn't you know it wasn't like they they didn't come to to Dublin expecting to get a hat full of goals as well. So, Phil, like after that results, after you know the opening three games, you know, as I say, um, maybe a moral victory if you like against Germany, a horrific result against Cyprus, and pride restored to a certain extent against the Czechs you know we uh, our final home game of the year and, and actually what was the, the final international uh, held at Lansdowne Road before the, the, the Grand Old Stadium was was demolished was a 5-0 win against San Marino and suddenly again this was uh, I, I know it was San Marino it was weakened you know opposition it's like this, the, the saying goes, you can only you can only beat the team that's uh, standing opposite you. Opposite you. you know, Robbie Keane was uh, scored uh, his first hat trick for Ireland. He's actually the first player to score a hat trick uh, for Ireland in, in uh, more than nine years. It was David Connolly had scored one against Liechtenstein in May '97, uh, um, and I remember like the team doing a lap of honour at the end of the at the end of the game because it was going to be that the last game at the old stadium. Crowd applauded them, you know. I know it's it's after a result like that, um, it's hard to feel bad. Um, but you know the and you know there was a, a buzz maybe about about the going to play our games in in Crow Park in the new year. So, what did you think of the the setup at the time? I mean, it was a year since the appointment was made. Was it, I mean, uh, what was the judgment on it? I think at that time. I think it was very much still out, but the the thing is, especially Irish fans and international football fans, like we can be quite fickle, and one result can hold a lot of weight over us because you mightn't have a game for so long. So if you were to take his his Staunton's three competitive games, okay, you had your your game against Germany, which was respectable enough, one nil defeat away. You had your game against. Cyprus, which you could put down to a fluke, and then you've got the Czech Republic at home, who at the time were a really good team, as uh, he said, but that's the level we kind of thought we were at. So to actually draw one all and compete in the night, it, it kind of gave us all a bit of 
a bit of hope. We didn't have a lot to go on with Staunton, so it was kind of like, well, if you take the three results, maybe the Cyprus game was a fluke, and now we're back. And then to go on and, and beat Minnows like Sam Marino, Robbie Keane getting his hat-trick, you know, the good feeling, it doesn't take long for a good feeling to come back like that. So it was, it was, it was optimistic at the time, or the optimism was kind of growing again. Yeah, and like I said, you know, the, the, the feeling around the time was that, okay, our, our next, our, our next two games are very winnable home games against Wales and Slovakia. They're going to be the first Ireland internationals played in, in Crow Park. You know, the, you know, guaranteed set outs, crowd be behind the team. You know, we can put a we can put a run together. We can get this back on track, and let's not forget. You know, the Cyprus still have to come to Dublin, and we can get we can get revenge against them. So, so before that first home game against Wales, uh, we went to the other minnow of the 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 group, San Marino, a team that we just beaten five 0 and we played them in uh, February of two thousand and seven. Um, scrappy game, and you know, again, you know, people say there's no. Uh, there's no easy games in international football. I kind of think San Marino is one of them. We were nil nil at half time, and you know Ireland didn't go go ahead until Kevin Turban scored just after half time, and we we're thinking, okay, all right, you know we've got a goal, we've got a win, we've got three points, and San Marino equalised with four minutes to go, and suddenly, you know, panic stations. We can't be a team that didn't beat San Marino. And uh, Stephen Ireland scored deep, deep into injury time, and suddenly, you know, it's it looks like the suspicions after the after the Dutch game, after the the, the Cyprus game, you know, were all being proved correct. How did we not, you know, the, considering the players that we had, you know, um, how did we not go to to San Marino and just beat them off the park? Oh uh, God! Um, it, uh, just the tone, uh, the tempo of the game was all off from Ireland. Weren't it from minute one? It was very, it was very lackadaisical. I thought for long periods, um, just the tempo wasn't wasn't good. It wasn't fast enough. Uh, we weren't proposing San Marino many questions. I can't remember many times that we went in behind the back of uh, San Marino defensively. Um, but I suppose to defying the Steve Staunton era, that equaliser for San Marino. God, it was so calamitous, wasn't it? The, def- the defender. It was a complete mix-up between Wayne Henderson, Richie Dunn, and uh, Paul McShane for that equaliser. That San Marino that I'd say couldn't believe his eyes when he saw that in front of him, putting the ball in the back of the net. Um, credit to Stephen Ireland, we scored, but uh, I think the damage had really truly been done at that stage, lads. Uh, what would have happened, guys? Just uh, out of curiosity, if it ended one all, do you think the FAI would have pulled a plug on? Um, on Stephen Staunton at that stage, or would it would they've persevered? I think it was nearly done at that stage. I think they would have kept going with them to the end of the campaign, maybe. Yeah. Uh, was it that game, or was it the Cyprus game when Bobby Robson went on RT Radio One to defend? I think yeah, I think it was the San Marino game uh, to defend the, the the result, the players, the management, and took absolute abuse from the listeners and handled it with an unbelievable level of grace. I think it just speaks to the the to, to the man himself, you know, the way he handled it, the way he took all the abuse that came over the over the phone lines that day 
and never once lost his temper, never once lost his cool. Um, and uh, I, I felt sorry for him after that. Um, I think if San Marino has uh, had gotten a draw to that game or a win, a win I think would have made his position untenable. Uh, a draw, um, a draw I think would have meant they would have just you know seen things out to the end of the qualifiers and then cut their losses with him. Um, but uh, it's hard to sack a manager after a win. So you know Stephen Ireland, you know he might have done what Mark Robbins did for. Brags Ferguson against Nottingham Forest all those years previously and kept him in a job with a with a goal. So uh, following that those two back to back wins, let's not forget, you know, uh, we were suddenly playing in the first uh, soccer international to be held at Crow Park and uh, faced Wales uh, in March of two thousand and seven. Um, Stephen Ireland scored a first goal uh, at uh, Crow Park. And Ireland went down to record a, a respectable enough one 0 win. But we never looked like 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 losing the game. And Wales possibly had their chances, but you know, I think a win was a, a fair result. So, you know I know that the, the two one result was on the face of things was bad, you know, and you know, the five nil winning five nil in the previous game was you know, everyone kinda of thought, Well it's San Marino, what are you gonna do? But now we had three back to back wins and uh, we were playing Slovakia at home, um, and you know Kevin Doyle scored the the winner. And you know it was the first game that we'd beaten higher ranked uh, opposition for for quite some time. You know since uh, actually in uh, since we'd beaten the the Dutch on on that famous night or famous day uh, in 2001. Um, the counter argument is, but we, you know because our ranking was so high for so long, we didn't play a lot of teams that were uh, that were ranked ahead of us. But you know we won four games back to back. The was qualification back on at that time, Phil. I don't think we thought so because of the manner of the victories. Like if you go back to the back to that year, like Wales weren't really any good. Like Wales at the time were kind of like it. It's kind of hard to remember back now, but like there. We say now, and I heard you say it earlier, that the, you know there's no easy games in international football. But back then, it was still the case that there was easy games in international football. Like San Marino was an easy game. Even Wales at home, you you were kind of expected to win. Like they weren't actually that good. I remember we played them a couple of years later in the Carling Cup of Nations. Bet Wales, bet the North, bet Scotland. Like they weren't actually that good at the time. So it was it was the manner of the victories. It was the manner of the victory against San Marino, I think, that really put the the final nail in the coffin from fans, the point of like fans' expectation expectations. I, I don't think anyone believed we were going to qualify at that stage. I don't think so. No, I, I think, yeah, I, I think my reaction was, around, was along the same lines, that these were good results, but the overall trend was still very much down, and we still had to go to... The Czech Republic, we still had to go to Slovakia, we still had to go to Wales, and we had to get results in all three, and that was not looking likely with the performance of the team at that stage. Um, on the other side of things, you know, we had seen, you know, Paul McShane had made his debut against the Czech Republic, you know, Shane Long, Stephen Hunt, and Anthony Stokes had all made their debut in that away game against San Marino. So, you know, the team maybe had started to change a little bit, you know, we said that under Kerr, 
we kind of felt that he never really changed the, the personnel. But you know, Staunton had started handing out some international debuts to some, you know, some exciting players. You know, Anthony Stokes had been talked about for a long time, and I think no one's ever even talked about him the same way until you know, Troy Parrish. Um, and then we had two end of season friendlies in uh, in the, the US against Ecuador and against Bolivia, where an amount of players all made their first appearances for for Ireland. We had uh, League of Ireland stalwart Joe Gamble, Daryl Murphy, Andy Kill, Colin Doyle, Adam Bennett, Alex Bruce got his first cap and before he decided he could he wanted to play for Northern Ireland. Uh, Stephen O'Holland, Darren Potter, Joe Curul, Stephen Gleason and Peter Murphy all made their their first appearances for Ireland and in some cases their only appear for Ireland. And who can forget Joe Pierre coming off the bench against Ecuador for the last oh. few minutes in that? Thought <laughs> about him until he said it. Yeah. Royalty. I, yeah, <laughs> I think you know some players make one appearance and then you never hear them again. And when someone even mentions their name to you, you don't know who they are. But everyone will always remember Joe Pierre and his one cap uh, for Ireland against Ecuador. And look, you know what? I don't blame the player. I kind I don't really blame the management either because he had a squad of players picked for that for that for those two games and a lot of them cried off and a lot of them said, you know, it's the end of the season, I'm injured, I'm tired, I'm going on holidays, I just don't I'm not going. And, you know, he was he was called up and you know, he joined the squad, he joined in training. Uh, there were some players have said in later years that you could tell straight away that he was nowhere near uh, good enough to play, uh, certainly not at an international level. Uh, I think he had a trial with Rangers. And he, he, he picked up an injury. And I don't think he ever played. He might have only ever played like a, a handful of, of actual senior club appearances. Uh, he's since retired and, and lives in relative obscurity. But he's on, uh, you, know, you can find him online if you're looking for him. I think he works as an accountant, actually. Um, he played so, in the- Region third division. I think that was it. Yeah. Yeah, that's a Google now. Just okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's not off the top of my head. No one's uh, that good. Uh, and uh, that, so the, we ended the this, that season with two two one-all draws against uh, South American opposition. Um, I do remember the Ecuador game. We actually did play did play quite good football in that game. And it was played at a, at a pace maybe that you know uh, we hadn't seen uh, any Ireland team in, in some time. And Stephen O'Halloran, I, I remember, as one being picked out as one to watch at, at left full. Unfortunately, he picked up some pretty serious injuries um, and ended up. Uh, he still plays non-league, but never really uh, lived up to the, the 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 hope that we had for him at the time. Uh, so uh, with the new season uh, about to kick off. Uh, we went to Denmark for a friendly, a team that we traditionally draw against, um, and won 4-0, um, uh, you know, scoring uh, four goals um, under the, under, you know, which, which we hadn't really done um, under previous managers at all. Uh, two goals for Robbie Keane, two goals for, for Shane Long. Um, and suddenly, you know, we're, we're looking into the, 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 the last four games of the qualifiers, maybe with a bit of hope. Uh, and the, fir- the first game uh, was in September, away to Slovakia and Bratislava. We needed 
four. Uh, we need, I'd say, kind of a minimum of four points from these two games uh, against Slovakia and then Czech Republic uh, four days later in, in Prague. Um, we went 1-0 up and then one all, and then we were 2-1 up until the last minute against Slovakia when, when Czech equalized. And suddenly that meant that we had to get a win in Prague. And uh, we didn't. Uh, from, so from needing four points from two games, we got just one. And qualifying now, I think we were starting to, the, the, the phrase, the old phrase has been trotted out, you know, mathematically it's possible. And it wasn't really, was it, Mark? Yeah, no, it was. Yeah, it was a devastating equaliser to concede against Slovakia because remember the backdrop to that game, guys. Uh, we had several injuries going into that game. We didn't really have a first team selection. More, so, you know, majority several players had uh, gone down with injury or had been withdrawn with various reasons. But it was such a promising performance. I mean, Stephen Ireland, I think it was his last international cap, if memory serves me right, against Slovakia yeah. and. Yeah, to be leading 2-1 right at the death and then the equaliser, you could feel that was it. I mean, the qualification was pretty much over because it was a daunting trip down to Prague to face the Czech Republic, who were always so difficult to beat at home anyway. And uh, the, the only thing I can remember of that Czech Republic game was Stephen Hunt's uh, brief cameo and uh, nearly taken off the knee of some poor old Czech Republic player. Um, so, um, yeah, with that, that was... But the damage had already been done, guys. Um, you know, but Slovakian performance and the results had yeah, put the nail in the coffin. Yeah, Phil, at that stage, like I said, the old cliche was been trotted out. We could still do it with a result against Germany at home. You know, like, yeah. That was never going to happen. Yeah, it, we've seen that with... Uh, We've seen that with McCarthy towards the end of the last qualifying. The thing is, you need something in the bank to actually believe that. And under Staunton, we had nothing in the bank. We had nothing to go on. So while it was mathematically still possible, we couldn't say, well, we could go back to such and such performance. And if we play like that, then we have a chance. So the, the, like basically, there was the, the Sweden game. You know, that was probably his biggest you know, win over a bigger team but we had nothing else to go on really to give us any hope you know there was there was no there was no real hope yeah there was certainly an air that you know we were just going to play out the last two games uh, uh, at home against Germany against uh, against Cyprus and then whatever happened in Wales in the, the last qualifier well it happened um, but you know again the team upped their game a little bit against Germany you know a nil nil uh, home game, by home result rather, is nothing to be, to be sniffed at. I mean, uh, not, a, not a, again, you kind of felt maybe pride was restored a little bit, it's kind of similar to the, the, the first game of the qualifiers um, a year earlier. You know, we, I think we had, we had low expectations and they were met, and maybe this is probably the best way of describing it. And then it all came down, or came to uh, the return game against Cyprus, you know, and we were thinking, you know, this is, you know, there was a revenge factor. We were going to turn around that worst result in Irish footballing history. Um, and we, you know, we played, we got the nil-nil against Germany. You know, the, we were facing the Minnows. It was four days later. We were going to get a result. And Cyprus went one nil up with 10 minutes to go. And people just got up and walked out of Pro Park. I'd say... Uh, at, at least 
uh, 10-20% of the crowd had left before Steve Bennett scored an equaliser. I know someone who went to the game who said he saw the goal and saw the equaliser. He was in the pub in time to see the equaliser and he didn't care that he missed it. And I knew it was, exactly why. It was vicious in the crowd that night. Yeah, there was there was a, another uh, again, you know, talk. You mentioned that there was an anger in the crowd like, before the Czech Republic game, uh, but that I think was was wasn't directed at the players. This was, there was you know there was booing when the players walked. There was I think the the goal was celebrated for all of fifteen seconds, and then you know the booing started and you know a one nil or sorry one all result at home against Cyprus wasn't good enough. Mark, he had to go at that stage. Indeed, yeah, no, it was. Uh, I think the the campaign kind of spoke for itself. Um, the, the league standings spoke for itself. The defensive structure spoke for itself. The lack of attacking nous against Cyprus and San Marino spoke for itself. I don't think, unfortunately, for Steve Staunton, the lack of support that he had around him really did cost him. His managerial inexperience was found out fairly early. I mean, remember the, the kicking of the water bottle in that Germany first game? Yeah. Getting himself needlessly sent off, getting suspended for the Cyprus game, no no genuine influence on that game, and it kind of spiralled out of control from there. I mean, what was hysterical, though, Joe and Phil, if you remember rightly, was the location where uh, Steve Staunton had his um, um, audition, or, you know, to basically say to the FAI board, why he should have been retained and it was I think the Crown Plaza was initially booked but then they switched it I think to maybe Dublin Airport, the Radisson to basically get the media off the scent and again John Delaney here as well, he was trying to extricate himself from the whole Oh, did I really appoint Steve Staunton? Uh, uh, he gave an interview, I remember well, I was in Boston, I nearly yeah, I couldn't believe what I was hearing from John Delaney to be perfectly honest at that stage so, I mean, it came as no surprise I think that Steve was going to be walking the plank, but I felt very sorry for him, given his playing record, the service that he's given to the country, and as you said, Phil, at the onset of this podcast, what will people remember Steve Staunton most for? He sent as the Irish Republic of Ireland uh, manager, which is unfair, but I mean, it's kind of, you know, the, his quotes and everything else during the tenure, they're of legend at this stage. Yeah, <coughs> excuse me, yeah, um, and I think that was something that definitely left a, a sour taste in the mouth was the way that Delaney distanced himself from the, the management. You know, when he was appointed, you know, the feeling was that Staunton was, was his choice and his pick. At the end of it, the, you know, suddenly this three-man uh, team was being mentioned, which had never been mentioned before. Um, and you know, it was probably the, the first time, I think, that the, the Irish football fans at large became aware of what John Delaney was really capable of. So the the group finished for, for Ireland at least with a, a, an away qualifier uh, against Wales. The result was going to be pretty immaterial and Don Givens was, was left in charge, or was put in charge. Um, and it wasn't a bad performance you know, uh, in the Millennium Stadium. I think the, the crowd of 24,000 was lost in the, the stadium that holds you know around 80,000 um, and again you know Ireland are, are leading 2-1 and give away a penalty at that on you know on, on repeated viewings of the, the incident 
perhaps was fortunate uh, to, to be awarded to Wales. You know, we did finish third in that group, uh, which was one place higher than we'd finished in the, the previous qualifiers, but, you know, we weren't anywhere near to the, the top two to, to the Czech Republic and Germany. Um, and perhaps, you know, we were, we were lucky to be only a point ahead of Slovakia and two ahead of, of, of Wales. Um, so, Phil, I mean, I'd like to just, you know, take a minute and talk about, you know, that the, the, the players that made their debut under Staunton, you know, there's there's not a lot of maybe memorable names there. I know we mentioned Paul McShane, and he's had a respectable career. Shane Long, you know, is still there, but there's there's not a lot else. And that kind of something that struck me, you know, when I was doing the research for this is that you know we had qualified for the World Cup only, you know, in 2002, only a few years previous. So whatever money, you know, the FAI had received as you know in terms of payments from FIFA for qualifying. For, for you know the and for the results, was this being maybe squandered a little bit? You know, should it have been spent? Why wasn't it being spent maybe on on training, on coaching, on facilities, and you know why weren't the players maybe coming through in the the years following that tournament? You know, you build from a you build from a position of of strength, and we had that position of strength uh, when we qualified, and. Just felt that it was it was slipping away further and further. Like around that time as well, you know, there was, you know, you know, the Celtic Tiger was 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 roaring. You know, the the the, the rugby teams were starting to to succeed. You know, Munster had won the the, the European Championships. Oh, sorry, Munster had won the the Heineken Cup that summer. Um, you know, Leinster were getting to the later stages. The there was a lot of focus on you know the the performances of of you know, county sides in GAA and the professionalism that they were showing at at, at all levels. You know, um, so I think like, people should we have been asking more of the FBI and why, where, where was their professionalism when other organisations around the country, you know, seem to show it off so easily? Of course, I think. Yeah, I think at the time as well, all the money was going into this. There was a lot of talk about the the new stadium. So all the money was kind of being being funneled into that. But it was looking back at it now, it was probably negligence on Delaney's part. Like really, he was what I can imagine he was thinking is we'll always kind of get by. We'll always have a, you know a, a good standard of player playing in the Premier League, and as long as we have that, we'll be okay. A few foreign-born players on the granny rule, but really, like if you go through as you've just done, a lot of the the debutants from Staunton, like. There's not a lot there in midfield. And as I said earlier, this was really the campaign where we started kind of starting to show like how poor we were technically. I know we had um, Andy Reid and we had Stephen Ireland, but Stephen Ireland was gone and we had McGeady who was, you know, hot and cold. But besides that, really, we hadn't a lot. We hadn't a lot in midfield either. So I think that was one of the biggest downfalls. Um but yeah, we know what's happened with Delaney. Like, money didn't go where it was meant to, and it still hasn't up until the point now. Really, you know, it's only we're kind of hoping it'll change now under the new management. But yeah, back then, I think with all the talk of the stadium, the Vantage Club, all that nonsense, I think maybe fans ask less questions. Yeah, 
And I think, you know, the, as I say, the environment at the time maybe meant that less questions were being asked, you know, because we saw the professionalism of other organizations around the country, we just assumed that the FBI had, were, you know, had, that, had those same standards, you know, these, you know, they've been around, they've had professionalism, um, or they've been a professional for, for, for much longer, um, you know, professionally had only, had only come into to rugby in the, the, the late 90s and the GAA was still... And, and they were the professional outfit, they were the, they were the association that had been to World Cups, they had been to major tournaments, they were kind of the benchmark, but everyone just passed them out. Yeah, I and mean, you know, it's it's the the they hadn't really changed. I think even since Italia ninety, you know, a lot of the the attitudes were still there, and you know, it's it's uh, again, you know, another another cliche in football. If you stand still, you end up going backwards because you know everyone else around you improves. Um, so, Mark, you know, with the it was the end of Staunton's reign. The, the feeling on the team was desolate, really. I mean, the new appointment. We didn't know who it was going to be at the time. There was, I, I, it was very public that you know John Delaney was not going to be part of this new mat, this new selection panel. Did you think that things were going to get better? Yeah, I mean, uh, for me, there was an awful lot of disillusionment um, after poor old Steve uh, Staunton's. Again, we had a successive managers that, on paper, potentially had good prospects but soon unraveled um, so I I had my doubts in terms of the FEI whether they would be able to secure a, an experienced quality international football manager to kind of guide the team um, because there's an awful lot of flaws particularly in the current Irish side setup even our kind of bread and butter our defensive shape was completely amiss for large portions of that Steve Staunton era so from my perspective I was very apprehensive going into that appointment process yeah and it, it seemed to drag on for absolutely months Don Gibbons as you said was in charge for that game against Wales in in November 2007 he was in charge for a, a friendly against Brazil in uh, the following February and it wasn't until uh, it wasn't until February to late February when it was agreed in principle that Giovanni Trapattoni was going to take over as Ireland manager. And I think just the appointment of the name alone made people feel better. And you know, we're gonna, and you know, I look forward to discussing you know his first uh, his first few years in charge uh, of the the Ireland team next week. You know, and just to, to finish on Staunton, you know, I feel sorry. I do feel sorry for the man. You know, you know, for a generation. Uh, of Ireland fans, he was a, a league winner with Liverpool. He was the first player to to win a, to earn a hundred caps for his country. He played in three different World Cups, but for everyone after that, for for you know for for the fans that were the same age we were uh, in watching Italia ninety, you know that saw him as manager. That's all he was. He was just this 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 failure as at management. And look, it wasn't all his fault. He was offered the chance to manage his country. Look, it's an option that his option is, is offered to, to very, very few, and he took it. But we all know if we were offered uh, that position, we'd take it. I'm 100% certain I'd be terrible at it, but I'd still take the job. And there's a chance that he knew that maybe he wasn't ready for the job. And, you know, but he, 
you know, he definitely knew that it wasn't a chance that, came, that comes around very often, and you know, and he, and he took it, and you know, it's uh, it's a period in his life that I hope when he looks back on it, you know, he doesn't regret the the, the decision he made, but uh, I'm not sure if I feed if he make the same choice if it came around again. Uh, just like to thank uh, Mark uh, from Hawkeye Psychic and Philip from the Bottomless Pit of Football for, for joining me to discuss Steve Staunton and I look forward to talking about Giovanni Trapattoni with them next week. Thank you.